0: I think a big takeaway for anybody that is starting any type of business is no business starts with the owner having a ton of money. Like, like I shouldn't say no business, but most businesses that start up real estate deals that get done, even the big real estate deals, like even the deals, you know, Trump did in the eighties, he was figuring out ways to bring in investors and bring in banks to do most of the financing and putting as little personal cash in as possible. That's normal. And I feel like there's a there's a uh, miscommunicated like realm of raising money where it's like that's the normal approach to most business creation. With no limitations, what does your perfect day look like? What if it's possible to live like that every day? Would you wake up after 9am? Have perfect health? Maybe fire your boss? Have the money and freedom to do what you love most. The world is your oyster. Where would you be? Who would you be with? The possibilities are endless. Whether you believe it's possible for you or not, you can make more, work less and live free.
1: Welcome to Freedom Hack Radio, where entrepreneur, best selling author, world traveller,
0: and adventurer Bryce Robertson and special guests crack the code on money, health, relationships, spirituality, and having fun doing what you love most. Be inspired to create your own self designed freedom lifestyle.
1: Welcome back to another episode of Freedom Hack Radio. I'm your host, Bryce Robertson. And today, my friends, I'm excited to introduce our our guest, Mr. Blake Comfort. And Blake is going to be sharing with us his path on achieving the freedom trinity of financial, time, and location freedom. So put yourself in his shoes and listen to the ride that he's been on. And I hope it's very inspirational for you because he's a great guy. He's super down to earth and he's overcome many challenges, and he's crushing it. And you too could be in the situation that he's doing. He happens to be a mobile home park investor, just like me, he has a little bit of a similar story as well. But you know, mobile home parks aside, regardless of if that's something you're interested in or not, listening to Blake's story will help you understand how you can get from where you are now to where you want to be, which is achieving the freedom, Trinity of financial time and location freedom. Blake's done a really, really good job at that. And um, you you know the way the way that I think here at freedom hack radios if I can achieve the freedom of trinity so can you and Blake has that believing as well So you guys are really going to dig this episode. So for all of you Freedom Hackers that are coming back, welcome back. I'm excited to share all of the experiences that we're going to share in 2021. I'm super excited about this year. It's going to be an amazing year. Definitely going to be our best year yet. And I'm excited for all of you to be on your path to achieving financial time and location freedom and truly living free by having balance with financial wealth, health, spirituality, relationships, and having fun because that's what we're all about here at Freedom Hack Radio. So listen in, you're going to really enjoy this episode. And for those of you who that have tuned in for the first time, if you get something out of this, make sure to subscribe, hit the subscribe button, hit the notifications button so you can find out about our next episodes. Um, if you're interested in achieving financial freedom, time freedom, location freedom, and having balance in the five core areas of our life, financial, wealth, health, relationship, spirituality, and having fun, then you need to be dialed in and listening to Freedom Hack Radio, I am sure you're not going to be disappointed. So, without any further ado, I'm excited to introduce Mr. Blake Comfort. <laughs> Welcome back to another episode of Freedom Hack Radio. I'm your host, Bryce Robertson, and today I'm excited to introduce Mr. Blake Comfort, who's here to talk to us about his path to freedom through investing in mobile home parks. Blake Comfort is co founder of Comfort Capital and Comfort Communities, with 14 mobile home parks currently owned and operated. He has spent the last 12 years pursuing financial freedom and cash flow, which has turned into a faith inspired pursuit to bring Breathe new life into older communities and lead the charge on the trailer park revolution aiming to reignite the magical sense of community this space once had. Blake, it's an absolute pleasure to have you here with us today, mate. Welcome to Freedom Hack Radio.
0: Thanks for having me, Bryce. I love it. Absolutely.
1: And, you know, for our freedom hackers right now, I just want to give a little bit more context. I mean, you and I, we probably met maybe like six or seven years ago at a mobile home park investing uh, educational boot camp, and uh, we connected and you were, you were pretty successful back then. And I believe you were in your early twenties and you already had a handful of mobile home parks. And it's just been awesome to watch you grow over the last, you know, I suppose like seven years and, and now you're crushing it and I love it and you're, you're really down to earth. You're a really humble guy and uh, I, I'm really thanks. excited to share a lot of this journey that you've had uh, with a lot of our listeners today.
0: Well, thanks. I'm, I'm stoked to be here and I'd love to share as much as I can with everybody that's interested in the space and, and cash flow and financial freedom. So I Beautiful. love it. Beautiful. So on on that
1: note of um, I, I'm really excited to find out what's giving you the most gratitude today?
0: So I'd say the biggest thing is just having a new baby girl, you know, on a personal note with wow. this year being full of turmoil and uncertainty, uh, which, you know, it can be fun. And I kind of, I like to to dabble in uncertainty and playing new games, but uh, having my wife have the baby healthy, the the coronavirus crap at the hospital wasn't wasn't really a big deal. We didn't have to wear a mask through labor and all that crap. So like going through that, having a healthy baby girl, uh, I'm grateful Every morning I wake up and I grab that little girl and I take, I take a couple hours, to let my wife sleep and I just sit there, man, I'm happy. I'm so grateful that. We're happy, healthy, and we have our our little cash flow from the trailer parks, and and it's all good, you know. <laughs> That's
1: beautiful, man. That's beautiful. Did do you get a little bit like scared with the responsibility when you look at your little one?
0: Honestly, it's kind of a new a new reason to go after it, you know, and do more things. Mm-hmm. Uh, whereas it's kind of like once you get to a certain point, it's like okay, what you know? Why do I want to keep pushing and grinding, and uh, and so now. I'd say the other thing that on the on the business front, we have a great team. I got buddies that I grew up with that have now started working with us. Uh, my sister and my dad are my partners who we work really great together. We ju- we went to a um, Tony Robbins like uh, business mastery event in January. Really, luckily, yeah. Was it live
1: or like did you do it virtually? We
0: we were there, so like the coronavirus thing kicked off in like end of February, March. Yeah, yeah. And so I snuck in, and we had a we had the three of us, just the partners, uh, or and my was basically my sister and my dad. We went and had an amazing week long business mastery kind of journey, and it basically was a coaching such a week long event for uh, business partners and how to work together long term, how to grow the business, how to uh, identify your different strengths. And so I'm really grateful that we got to do that in person in you know, at a live event. And it really kind of helped us uh, prepare ourselves and our minds for this weird year that took, you know, took shape. And we, we ended up closing a couple of deals, you know, raising money and doing deals in the middle of it. So it worked yeah. out.
1: That's beautiful. And, you know, I love Tony Robbins. I love a lot of self-development events. I've, I've been pretty addicted to that stuff over the years. Um, I know what I get out of it. What did you get out of doing business mastery? I mean, I know you get a lot out of the event there, but what results actually came to fruition as a result of, of being there?
0: Really, the I'd say, and to boil it all down, it's your state of mind and being like, like waking up every day and don't get consumed by the latest news and negative bullshit, you know, going on in the world. Isn't that you know, relevant just, right now? <laughs> yeah. Oh man. And like, yeah, today even, you know, I'm like, ah, oh, God, I gotta, I gotta, you know, make sure I focus on being grateful for the baby and my wife and the health of our family and the health of our our business that we originally got into because it was recession proof. You know, it's just there's so many things, reasons to be grateful that uh, that's that was the big takeaway was we can control our minds and our state like you don't have to.
1: Do you feel more grounded since you've done that event?
0: Totally. And I've, I've basically just shifted and I, I've, I'm naturally an optimistic person and like pretty positive and fun. Uh, like every day I can get into a pretty good mood and I don't get drugged down often, but Mm -hmm. I like, there's moments in time, you know, and, and stagnant moments in life where you're like, all right, you know, what's next. And, uh, just learning how important that the control of your mind and your state is, was incredible. And so that is a new tool, kind of a new mechanism that I'm using since that event far more than I did before.
1: That's beautiful, man. Love it. That's awesome. I mean, you know, we can go to these events and have a mad time, but unless we actually implement it, it doesn't really mean anything. So that's that's super cool. Um, and I know you're a big action taker. Love that. Um, I, haven't, I haven't done business mastery. I'd love to. So, uh, and I've actually had quite a few people that have talked about that lately. And I've seen that he started doing events like UPW and whatnot virtually. He's yeah. standing there in front of a big screen and everybody's <laughs> screen is facing him. Uh, I don't know how it works, but if there was someone to pull off that virtually and keep the energy up. I'm sure he can do
0: it. Yeah, I agree. I think it'd be fun. I was going to do it with my wife, the virtual one, next t- mm-hmm. next go around just to see how it goes. I think yeah, it'd be pretty cool.
1: I'd be curious to check that one out too. So let's dial the clock back a little bit, Blake, let's go back 12 years ago, when you started pursuing financial freedom, like what inspired you to start pursuing financial freedom? <laughs> how old were you then? And you know, what were you thinking?
0: So it's kind of a funny story. And I, I was kind of an I was a good kid, but I was a knucklehead when it came to school. So uh, school and like, I, I don't know if you follow Gary V, but I resonate with Gary V on the fact that I don't believe schools were built and, and, uh, structured for, for boys. Like when you're growing up and I just had so much more energy. It was, a I di- I learned discipline and I learned social aspects, but I just hated school. Mm-hmm. So I, you could have asked me when the I whole time
1: college. or from like a certain age.
0: Pretty much like the school aspect of it. Like I, ha- I, was, I was always good with like friends and I always had plenty of things going.
1: <laughs> all the break times are all the best, huh?
0: <laughs> yeah, like sitting around with my buddies, you know, at lunch, that kind of thing. But, it, you know, like the class aspect and the learning aspect, it, I, I did okay. Like I, I, I got like a 2.7, you know, a, a C plus average. <laughs> mm-hmm. But I just, if you would have asked me at even probably 10 years old, if I was going to go to college, I would have told you no. Mm-hmm. And I just, as soon as I could get out of it, I was happy to get out. I think that's so a I, cool distinction to have that, and just not waste a whole bunch of time going down a wrong path, too. Yeah, and it was just a kind of a natural thing. And then later on, I've learned that my family heritage, like all of my uh, great grandfathers and and you know lines from my my the comfort line of our family, they all owned their own businesses like mm-hmm. since the sixteen hundreds. So it's it's just kind of in our blood. Yeah. So, so uh, you know, that's just uh, laying the groundwork for where I was mentally. So I actually missed like in, in May of 20, uh, 2008, I was a senior graduating. I graduated high school in 2008. So I'm 30 today. I was 18. And uh, w- my dad was kind of shifting careers. He was a, an apartment builder. So we had, he, he had uh, the, the knowledge of the fact that the cash flow model worked. He knew that it worked. He didn't know how to get to it. Okay. And so he had built all these apartments and things. And so he had read Rich Dad, Poor Dad. Mm-hmm. So then he was telling me I should read it. And, and so I started thumbing through it. And there was a, like a three-day free seminar that we could go to in San yeah. Diego locally. So he's like, why don't you go with me? You know, it's a Thursday, Friday, Saturday deal. And, and so I missed senior year high school, uh, you know, two days to go sit in the seminar for rich dad, poor dad. And they basically just like outlined the different aspects of real estate, the different asset classes. They mm-hmm. just did like a nice summary of everything.
1: Okay. And
0: they, they got around and at the time, because it was 2008, it was a, <clears throat> it was a re- recessionary environment. You know, <laughs> everyone's kind of mm-hmm. thinking about the next step and what they're going to do. A lot of the people there. So they, they're kind of were um, they kept a bait going the whole time on this, re- this recession proof you know, asset class that's a super secret niche, and and so they that was kind of the the carrot that they kept in front of us to stay the whole time. And
1: it's 2008, yeah.
0: Yeah. Yep. And so so we get to the end, and they'd gone through most asset classes: industrial, commercial, retail. You know, um, even multifamily apartments. And then it was like, and then storage. And uh, they get to they get to the end, and they're like, "All right." And it was like the last day, and they'd kind of gone through all this stuff and taught about how how great cash flow is from all this stuff and then they're like are right, you ready for the secret you know asset class <laughs> and it was like mobile home parks <laughs> and uh, they go into it and dad and i look at each other like what the hell and then they kind of they kind of creep going into the details of okay so apartment turnover is 50 percent a year and mobile home parks is actually once you get them stabilized if you buy a stabilized deal they're like two percent turnover Mm -hmm. and it's like wait a second so dad and i kind of looked at each other like wait you know the management is easy and so at the time it was him and i and we him and i were going to go out on an adventure and a journey on how the hell do we do this and we had no money Mm -hmm. and so other like dad had a few bucks to just live on while he was transitioning but other than that it was going to credit cards to survive and so we, we kind of looked at each other like, okay, mobile homes or mobile home parks. They seem like a good way for an 18 year old kid that doesn't know shit. And mm-hmm. you know, he, he knew at least how to do a real estate deal somewhat, but he didn't know how to raise money. None of that. So we we were like, well, let's dig in. So we bought, they sold, they pitched us the wind up, you know, whole, the whole wind up in the pitch thing, kind of like the Franken <laughs> sure. yeah, And, uh, so we, we decided to, all right, well, let's buy the mobile home specific mobile home park class. Mm-hmm. Kind of like, sounds like what you're selling, like a particular, you know, deep dive course into, you know, how do you do it? So we bought it. We borrowed the money from my grandma and we bought the course. We
1: borrowed money to do the course.
0: Yeah. Yep. Yep. Awesome. And, uh, and so, and it was a pretty detailed course. It mm-hmm. was, it was a, and, and I will say it was well put together in that it gave us a lot of confidence and know-how we did uh, online virtual classes in 2008, which was kind of new at the time. Mm-hmm. And the guy was in Florida, and he was a mobile home park, you know, expert. Okay. And he owned deals, and so he was teaching. It'd be like you and I going out and teaching a virtual class for another organization. Okay. And so that was, and so we learned a lot, and we started digging in, looking at deals. It was when LootNet was uh, really popular and had a lot of deals on it. And so we found mm-hmm. our first several deals. Just dinking around, looking at you know endless amounts of trailer parks on LoopNet, and little by little we just learned a little bit more and learned a little bit more, and uh, we finally started making offers. We tied up like three deals all over the country and traveled, and Dad's you know swiped a credit card, just everything, <laughs> to go look at them and check them out, and we determined that we really didn't like back east. Because we didn't know enough about them yet, and then there were sewer treatment plants involved and wells, and we're like, uh, let's stay like west of the Rockies to do our yeah. first few deals. So we, we, long story short, we ended up buying our first deal in Brighton, Colorado, and okay. just north of Denver, and a little twenty-eight space deal, six hundred grand. Uh, it had like three vacancies, so it was relatively stable, and um, it was I would I would call it. Uh, you know, a single star park with maybe okay. the ability to get to a two star. So it's pretty rough, <laughs> pretty, rough. pretty rough and really okay. dense, you know, little tiny, like old 50s 60s style travel trailers, oh, decent okay. size, decent put, length, put
1: your arm arm out the window and touch the other home beside yeah. it.
0: <laughs> yep. And oh, yeah. basically, so I, we bought that and closed on it when I was 19. So it took, you know, I graduated high school. We got around the end of that year chasing other deals in like ohio and different places so so hold up a minute here you closed
1: on that deal right you're like 19 years old you're doing it with your dad you guys have never done it before you had a little bit of education you had no money you were putting your education on credit cards how did you get the deal done
0: so we figured out you know how they tell you you can do zero down you know like oh yeah you know you can find a seller that'll set sell, you know carry with nothing down mm-hmm. and you know so we we were hunting for those types of deals forever well that, that is just true but it's very very few and far between <laughs> exactly you know yeah. like i know people have done it mm-hmm. <laughs> but we were like well we wanted to do a deal and it we didn't want to wait and and do like the and at the time, the whole like idea of going out and sending mailers, that hadn't been taught to us. That was more of like okay. a Frank and Dave thing. So that wasn't that wasn't like a thing that w- we were really privy to at the time. Um, and, and when so you're talking we, about Frank and Dave, just for
1: our listeners, those guys, uh, um, they've been educators in the mobile home park space for quite a while. And, and a lot of us started our training with those guys in the beginning.
0: Yep. And they have a, a, a school called Mobile Home University. Um, and so, and they're good guys. We, you know, so we, we didn't know that, you know, we should go pursue zero down deals and all that. And, and we kind of, we kind of dabbled, but we're like, we want to get a deal done. So let's figure out how to raise money. So we, and we had, we actually have a, a guy here in San Diego that was really great in that he could kind of mentor us. And uh, dad had built some apartments for him. Mm-hmm. And he was a syndicator. So we had a, a couple of very brief conversations enough to get us started with him as to like how he would kind of go about it and structure a deal. And he basically just said, hey, you know, friends and family, you just go out, you, you, you tie up a deal, you know, put the money down and you go out and you just put an LLC together and you bring, you know, you start talking with attorneys and figure out that structure and you just start, you know, put passing the deal around, put a little perspective pr- prospectus together. And and so he he showed us a couple of his, which dad had seen in the past. So it was kind of like, okay, you know, I get how this guy does apartments. And then by the way, he's he's got like fifteen thousand apartments in San Diego. So this guy's you know mega bucks. And uh, and so anything anything he said, fifteen thousand, let's
1: fifteen thousand units.
0: Okay. Yeah. In San Diego apartments. That's huge.
1: That's huge. Yeah. He's
0: a. He, and at the time he was probably like 10 or 12,000 and they've done really well over the last 10 years. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah. So we listened and then any little you know, nugget of information he'd give us, we would dig like crazy to research and find out. So we ended up tying up that little 28 space deal for 600 grand, mm-hmm. raising the 200,000, which at the time, like most people you know, now like we, we talk to, I, I try to like talk and, you know, if there's younger guys coming up, I'll try to talk to them and, t- you know, teach them whatever I can, whatever they're at. And they ask questions, I'll tell them whatever I can. And um, they're like, well, you know, we haven't raised a few hundred grand. Da, da, da. And i like, trust me. I, you know, I know that it sucks. And it's like, it's, it looks like a big climb when you're raising 200 grand and, but you just have to keep calling and keep pursuing it. And, and eventually you'll raise it. And a guy will put in more than you expect or, you know, and lo, lo and behold, you, your persistence pays off and you raise the money because the 200 grand that we raised, we were at this point like 50 G's in debt to the, learning how to do this. Mm-hmm. And we needed to do that deal because basically we were going to charge a little acquisition fee just enough to cover the, the cost of, the, you know, all of the travel and things that we had done prior to that deal. And so, and I actually, I don't think we could even charge. That. I think we made like 10 grand or 20 grand. And uh, so we raised the money, um, put it together, our split, our documents, everything was really rough. <laughs> and uh, anyways, we closed when it. When you say
1: your split, you mean like the way that you divided the returns between you and everybody else in the deal?
0: Yeah, so we did a, we did a 75%, 25% split, 75% yeah. to us. Oh, wow. So so that was that was why it was so damn hard to sell, come to find out later. Um, okay. So the investors you know, didn't get much of a cut there. But we gave them a pref. Okay. So they had a pref uh, 8%, which at the time, so we bought a 12 cap. This deal was a 12 cap. Okay. And, That's awesome. And, and so it was good and it cash flowed and, you know, it was in a decent location. It was on a well. It was in a big metro, Denver. It was like, it's like 15, 20 minutes north of Denver. And, and just just like, quickly, just to clarify for our listeners right now, yeah. when you said a pref,
1: you mean that when the cash flow comes after after the expenses have been paid, there's cash flow left over, then you're going to put the first piece of that towards the investors, which is called a preferred return. So they get paid before anybody else gets paid. So
0: right, we did an eight percent preferred return, and then basically any dollars after that, if after we've achieved that threshold of the eight pref- preferred return then we would share 25 to them, 75 of us on. And so what happened, and so, and we were able to get it done. And that was basically my college education. I did everything. I, I collected all the rents. I paid all the bills. I uh, made all the, you know, little improvements and things that we needed to do. I worked through the city. We, we made so many errors (laughs) that it's like, I look back and it's just hilarious. We like the, two weeks before we closed we got like a 40 page violation list from the city wow. and we still closed mm-hmm. and, and it was just like you know every little you know stair you know that on the side of a mobile home or a little you know uh you know and these old parks this this park was built in like the 50s so they that had it the homes and everything huh like oh you would it, they were they were basically like shanty mobile homes at this point because yeah. they had built out so many little every one of them had laundry machines really like damn near all of them like i bet you 80 percent of the homes in there had little build outs in the back off like the master bedroom really where they had laundry yeah was <laughs> it it kind well. of a setup you'd probably see down in tijuana <laughs> it, it was it was a i it was a heavily hispanic tenant profile <laughs> mm-hmm. so it actually did look like a little mexico um but anyways, the people, what was really neat and the whole learning experience was amazing. I learned that the deal structure, the devil's in the details, because even though it was a 75, 25 split and eight pref and a preferred return, we didn't make hardly any money on the cash flow, as you can mm-hmm. kind of imagine, after mm-hmm. we fixed odds and ends. Yeah. And and then at the end of the day, we owned the deal for nine years. The city was threatening us down our throats the whole time. Mm-hmm. Uh we just, we actually had to lawyer up and we got that idea from the stiff arm from uh, going to the MHU classes and Frank and okay. Dave talking about that. So yeah. we lawyered up and we threatened to sue uh, the city and yeah. it worked. Okay, And that was at the county. Is, kind that, of the is end. that
1: where you threatened to sue for each individual violation and there'd have to be a court hearing for every single violation? Or
0: no, we threatened to sue them because uh, they weren't allowing, they were saying we were a non conforming. Uh, non-grandfathered use and they were okay. trying to shut us down in, in in total with all these little violations Which but is all kind of tropic, those yeah. with those all those structures they had been there so what we did was we put a bit, together a big case of a of aerial imagery and overlaid it all on a big alta survey mm-hmm. and like a map and showing like the the time frame of when all of those mobile homes were there well those mobile homes had been there before the city buildings were so like we got lucky on that in that the park was so old that it was like out in the middle of farm fields and now this is like a full-blown little city around it
1: and so So, what you're saying
0: is is that when something gets established or built back then and as long as it
1: stays there then it it, it applied the code that existed back when it got built or back when it got put
0: there is still going to be the code today right so we argued the fact that the setbacks and everything were established prior to the city's ordinances even being in place so we had to identify little basically like little outlines of where all the trailers are and were Mm -hmm. and that was the envelope that we fought to keep okay and so certain things were built out of that so we did have to like enforce a few people removing some of their like side structures sure but all in all it was a it was a big win And um, it, it took us like a solid year uh, after we had like learned and lawyered up and kind of got the case put together and the altas and the imagery and uh, aerial imagery from like the fifties. But anyways, long story short, we won. They, they gave us a a, like non-conforming use grandfathered use uh, approval. And we put the deal up for sale and sold it after nine years. After nine years. Wow. We we owned it for nine years. So we sold it two years ago. Long hold yeah and and uh we and what cap rate did you sell it for so we sold it for a six cap and we had cleaned it up pretty good so like all of the commonary structures and playground and and the streets were dg they weren't uh, paved but they were groomed and clean okay. and um, and there's trees and stuff and and so we, we made, we trimmed all the trees. It looked, it looked pretty good. And so this guy that was going around buying smaller deals like this, they were, it was actually like a bidding war and we sold it for 1.325.
1: Beautiful. So all,
0: all in all we did well. So then going back to the split and the learn the big learning experience on that whole legal structure was it, we couldn't make any changes to the legal documents unless we had a unanimous <laughs> vote by the yeah. members. Yeah. And so we were locked in whatever the deal said. And Doesn't however the deal. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, it was bad. So it was like, so in the end, what happened was we gave them all the cash flow. Basically, we got to where we were sipping on, I don't know, a couple hundred bucks, like collectively, my dad, uh, uh, sister and I. And, uh, and when we sold it, the way that the tw- seventy-five twenty-five worked was that was on cash flow. So on ongoing operational monies, that was the split. But on a capital event upon sale, it goes pro rata, the capital contributed. So it was the all the money that was raised got all the money. Oh, really? So we didn't get a single dime.
1: So you didn't get a dime. (laughs) You had had nine years of experience and you didn't get a dime. Nothing. That is, that is funny. And you thought you structured it so that you guys were going to, you know, take 75% of the pie and of the uh,
0: profit in the end above the money that was raised. Yeah, that's
1: classic, man.
0: Hey, you and I have a
1: very, very similar story, because I actually, um, I, I had a negative net worth when I started all of this. And I was also, I, I didn't complete high school, I knew I didn't want to go to university. Um, but I had a a big gap in between, uh, leaving high school until I started to become an entrepreneur. But then fast forward, I ended up, uh, you know, buying my first park, a 12 cap, I bought it for like $570,000. I, um, didn't know how to raise capital. I went to friends and family. i got a few friends and family involved. We got the deal across the finish line. I think we had to raise like $180,000 or something. And then four and a half years later, we ended up selling it for 1.3 million. So it was almost like identical story to yours um but the interesting thing I did the same thing I structured the deal in a way where I thought it was gonna pan out pretty well for the investors, but my investors crushed it. They were supposed to get, um, they wanted to get a minimum of 12% overall annual returns. They ended up getting like 57.6 or something along those lines, it was stupid. And so I'm super glad that they got that and I'm stoked for them because I would never have even started my first deal if, if they didn't come in and sort of help get the deal done. But it was, it was a big cold shower and a slap in the face of like, hey, you better learn how to structure deals. Um, I was given away way too much of my profits, but you know, I've learned a ton, and uh, and it's been good since then. But the really really cool thing that I appreciate appreciate about you, and the thing that like I'm inspired about, is that I started all of this when I was like I would have been about 33, and I'm about 40 now. So, I mean, you you started like like a long time before me in, in age wise, probably like you know. 10, 15 years before me, or something like that. And I love that. And I'm just so amped that someone out there at 18 years old made a decision. Okay, I can go to university or I can just become an entrepreneur. And you went out there, you had you didn't have the money, you didn't have the skill set. Um, but you got it done. So what is your reason why? And what inspired you to be able to push through all those challenges? Because you and I both know what it's like to go through all of that. You had tons of no's and tons of failures to get even that first deal done. What was your, what motivates you to drive all the way along um, back then and still now?
0: Yeah, so I actually just learned and took away Uh, my core values in going through the Tony Robbins thing. I had never really identified my personal core values, Mm -hmm. but one of them is freedom. So Mm -hmm. I have always valued freedom over money, Mm -hmm. like over. And so I was in the time, what the decision I made was, okay, I can go down the path of most kids I could go to some type of bullshit, you know, like local college Mm -hmm. (laughs) and, and dink around. And I did go to college for three weeks. My mom was like hell bent on me going to college. So I enrolled at the local college for three weeks and in, in kind of the midst of me learning all of the mobile home park stuff and chasing deals before we had actually purchased one. So in the fall of 2008, I was, I was enrolled in a local college and the whole, the whole thing of me learning that it existed from like the rich dad, poor dad mindset, Mm -hmm. going to that class, seeing guys that, that were talking, talk about how you can, you can do this. It, it actually doesn't take a college degree. In fact, you know, it, the time wasted in college is, is going to hurt you more than if you were to start and start learning and doing and even failing. And it's Mm -hmm. like, that was big takeaway because he was actually talking mostly to like middle-aged people that were there 40s 50 year olds and so he wasn't holding back on like the college thing Mm -hmm. and and I was just like man it just resonated with me so much To I don't want to waste that time like I want to get out and and why not like I and I always viewed the world like I always wanted to uh, meet my wife young and and I like I always was into that mode of like, I wanted to figure things out early so that once I had kids, I'd have more freedom. I'd have more options. So I'd rather put in the time from like 20 to 30, let's say, mm-hmm. than, uh, than, than wait and kick the can. Mm-hmm. And so I, I was looking for deals. I was sitting in a college art class and I had a couple of buddies that were there with me from high school and I go, well, boys, I'm done. I can't do this. I just feel like I am wasting my freaking time here, mm-hmm. and uh, it like this lady is talking about different shapes in art class, and I'm like, yeah, I don't care, <laughs> I'm out of here. So I walked out and I sold my books back to Amazon at the time, and uh, and never left, never went back, and started just pursuing mobile home parks. I actually was a realtor in town, mm. trying to just make a couple bucks while I learned, but I was hell bent on cash flow in that in that seminar i just decided that i would rather pinch pennies for 10 years and figure out how to live on cash flow that was like so many advantages with the taxes and the, all the mechanisms that you can play there that i like i'll figure out how to live on nothing until i can live on cash flow it's life-changing, isn't it? Like, I remember
1: when I found out, I went to a, um, it was like a, a local real estate meet in Orange County. It was the first one I went to. And there's all these people in the room that uh, are getting deals done. And a lot of them were doing deals without their own money. And they were partnering with people who had money and they did the work and all this. And it just, it, it became very clear to me very quickly that there's just so many ways to make money. And uh, I didn't know any of that was possible. Once I knew it was possible, it was game over. I was like, man, I'm just like putting my foot on the gas. Um, and, I, and this is something that I hope that a lot of our freedom hackers get, especially our younger millennials, um, to be listening to what you're saying here and the choices that you made so that they don't have to go and do what I did and waste like 17 years before I got on the right path. Um, because look at you now, man, you know, you got 14 mobile home parks, you're, you're 12, 12 years deep on this, and you're only 30 years old. And, uh, you know, you get a kid and you, and you and I were talking the other day about you, you know, traveling around and, and getting out there and adventuring more. And you've set up the platform for you to be able to do that.
0: Yep. And I'm, I'm very grateful for that. And I, and then also the, the, the reason we loved mobile home parks specifically was that it's the cheapest, most affordable way to live. Mm. you know and it's and it's not government subsidized or dependent on you know any type of government program and mm-hmm. so that's that's that was one of the core reasons why uh dad and i loved the model was that it's it's you need food water and housing yeah and, like for sure and that's and if we're going to focus on something from scratch from a recession might as well pick one of the main three <laughs> yeah. And I, I wrote an article on that for Bigger Pockets uh, probably a
1: couple of months ago, just talking about what I believe is the biggest uh, real estate problem in America. And that's the need for affordable housing and everything that happened, you know, with the COVID shutdowns and everything just accelerated that and made that even more pronounced. So, I mean, I truly believe that regardless of what's happening in our economy, regardless of if it's thriving or taking a dump, the need for affordable housing, supply and demand are just out of whack. There's not enough. Mobile homes uh, to house all the people that need that price point of home. So it's it really is a recession-resistant in investment model, and um, you know since everything went down last year, I mean my my investor list is like massively grown, and a lot of people are just they want to get involved in this, and I really just do think it's a it's a good way to ride through the uh, you know this the economic times that we're in now and will be facing over the next few years is it, I feel very safe and secure being in the mobile home park space I mean uh, we've got parks where we've got like 13 14 15 people on a on a waiting list we, we can't even get homes quick enough
0: so it's uh, I mean that's everything that a business owner wants oh my gosh I couldn't agree more yep uh, and and to the same point like I everywhere I go now uh, and I have these I have these cool hats I'll show you I got these make trailer park great again hats. <laughs> <Nice>. <laughs> so I wear those like out rolling around on the weekends and stuff. And the conversations I get into is so funny. Even if people don't like Trump, they kind of like take a second and they're like, oh, uh, oh, cool. So wait, what trailer parks? What does that mean? And I'm like, oh, we, we buy older trailer parks and fix them up and renovate them. And I'm like, oh, man, that's so cool. I, I've always wanted to own a trailer park. You know, <laughs> that's it's awesome. funny. Cause everyone knows that they exist and know that they're, they're a good investment, but it's just, it's like the, the niche entry point is just tough to break into. Yeah. So, yeah,
1: that's, that's great, man. So, you know, I know some of us can be financially free, but still work like 16 hours a day, seven hours, you know, seven days a week. Um, How does time freedom look for you now? And, and like, where do you want your time freedom to
0: be in like 12 months? So we have a hell of a team now and they're all really great people and they've kind of taken a lot of the stuff that I would have done day in and day out. And so what's neat is I'm, I'm actually reaching out and connecting with more people like this. And I, the other day I did uh, the pot, I'm, I'm recording the initial kind of kickoff for my podcast, the trailer park podcast. And I had a Navy SEAL buddy on that. I have bumped into and in the airport community. Yeah. So I, I started, I started flying when I was, uh, 23 and just like recreationally, but I, w- I always wanted to learn. And I'm historically, so cool. I, I'm, uh, I love equipment operation. Like I'm a motorcycle mm-hmm. guy, trucks, mm-hmm. you name it. Uh, I, we do the razor, like UTV thing, mm-hmm. uh, boats. <laughs> I just love operating stuff. And so I was always as a kid interested. So we needed an office. So we came down to the airport. And uh, looked around because the airport got crushed in the in the recession. Mm-hmm. So there was hangar space and people were kind of willing to kind of turn a blind eye to not having an airplane in the hangar. Yeah. Um, and so we did that for a while and then you can lease it. You can lease your hangar space, like sublease it to a plane. Mm-hmm. So we did that. So we had an office space that was on the side of a hangar, had the use of a hangar, most of it. And then we rented uh, a friend of a friend had a plane and we uh, rented the, just the hangar space for their plane at a relatively cheap rate. And so we got involved in the airport community. Well, lo and behold, that was one of the best decisions I ever, I ever made because I've actually uh, been able to add some amazing investors and people Mm -hmm. that are friends of mine from the airport community. So yeah, yeah, so I've, I've bumped into this Navy SEAL guy and he's out buying storage and it's it's just so cool. So, yeah, it's
1: beautiful that's beautiful
0: and you know when Blake and I are talking uh,
1: about you know investors and whatnot the way that we structure the deals that we do uh, because we're both mobile home park operators is we go out there we find the deals we put them together we do the due diligence negotiations and take over the park and operate it um, because we've got the resources because that's what's set up that's what we do but then there's a lot of people that don't have the time or the resources or or, or the bandwidth to be able to do that but they have got a bit of money and they want to put it to work and we need money to grow and expand. And I mean, there's, there's no way that you would have been able to build, you know, 14 mobile home parks so quickly, if you weren't leveraging uh, investors capital, right. And so it's 100%. kind of a win win situation where we win because we get to grow and we get to provide more investments for other investors. But at the same time, investors get to join the ride. And um, they get to, I suppose, use the terminology of a plane, they get to be in the in the, in, you know, we're up front, flying the plane, and, and they're in the passenger seat enjoying the ride. They don't really yeah. have responsibilities they
0: just get paid. I couldn't agree more. And mm-hmm. and I think a big takeaway for anybody that is starting any type of business is no business starts with the owner having a ton of money. Like like I shouldn't say no business, but most businesses that start up or real estate deals that get done. Even the big real estate deals, like even deals you know trump did in the 80s he was figuring out ways to bring in investors and bring in banks to do most of the financing and putting as little personal cash in as possible that's normal and i feel like there's a there's a uh, miscommunicated like realm of raising money where it's like that's the normal approach to most business creation
1: yeah yeah Absolutely. It's, it's, it's a hustle and you get to get going, but it's kind of like pushing a rock uphill. Once you get to the top of the hill, it takes off and it's, it's snowballs. Um, so, you know, I think now more than ever, it's, it's easier to have location freedom, you know, especially with, you know, the COVID shutdowns yeah. and zoom calls and a lot of people working from home and all this kind of stuff. And, um, I mean, do you have any desire to take off and travel and grow and you continue to grow your business while you're doing it with, without the limitation of how, having to be in like
0: your hometown. So yeah, actually I have a um, I've been grooming my life for kind of not having to be in one location. Mm-hmm. So I bought a my my wife really wanted to buy a house. You know, I'm sure you've kind of bumped into that. Um and so I'm like, okay, well find I kind of gave her a criteria that I didn't think she would hit with a with a game plan in mind. I'm like, okay, find an acre, find an acre in town mm-hmm. with a house that's been flipped. So I don't, you know, we don't have to move in and gut it and, and then we'll look at it, you know? And so I'm like, yeah, that ain't going to happen. And, uh, or she'll take a while. And, you know, we were renting this uh, cute little house in, in, uh, downtown La Mesa, which is kind of a cool Mm -hmm. little village, you know, restaurant community. And, uh, so, um, I was happy as a clam and we're doing our deals. and, And so a couple years ago now she, she goes on this hunt and then she hits me up two months after this in the middle of the day while i'm working she's like hey look at this house <laughs> it fits our criteria and i'm like no shit i'm like looking at this thing and it's basically a huge like football sized acre beautiful. relatively flat with a little 1200 square foot house that has been totally redone everything's brand new beautiful and i'm like no shit so uh anyways we ended up buying it And I'm putting in an ADU with a mobile home, 1200 square foot house right next door to me. So it'll look like two homes, right? Just in the neighborhood. And that one's, I'm going to rent and cover my mortgage. Mm -hmm. And that way it's like, we can have our house here. It's paid Mm -hmm. for basically cash flow neutral. It'll just cover itself and we can go rent VRBOs and kind of drift around if we want to. And so that's, that's my game plan for that.
1: That's beautiful, man. And, and that's the cool thing about the freedom trinity, though, um, is that you don't just because we have the choice, it's like a switch. We can flick it on or flick it off. Um, once we've achieved having financial time and location freedom, we might choose to like work our butt off. Like, for example, now, I just think that there's tons of opportunities right now. So I'm knuckling down in Q1. I'm working 12 hours a day and I'm even working on the weekends a little bit. Um, and, but I can turn that off when I want to turn it off. And then if I choose yep. later on in the year that I want to go traveling for a couple of months, then cool, I'll go do that. Um, and, and, but it's, we, it doesn't mean that we have to always be traveling and always be, you know, sipping, um, pina coladas in the Bahamas, <laughs> but, uh, right. but it gives us the choice to, and just the, the feeling of, of having that choice. What does it feel like for you?
0: Oh man. So yeah, that's it. Like, cause you get like, most people don't realize And I, and I really think that you have to get to a position of, of like financial freedom to even start to, to think about it in the right perspective, because once you get to a point where you're not, you no longer have to work, you, I almost feel like I, I have a pressure to go do good things with our communities and continue to grow our team and their wealth. And I feel like that's now what I'm excited about is, is doing deals, but for more reasons than just financial independence and freedom. Mm. And so, and then the ability to go on a trip with my wife, check out for a couple of weeks, but most people don't realize like, you know, you're gone for a couple of weeks, maybe a month. You're kind of like, your mind's tired of doing nothing. You know, it's like, okay, I want to get back to it. Like the whole time I, you know, I travel, I'm always kind of crunching deals in my head (laughs) or like looking at new concepts or things to come home and apply. Mm. So yeah, I, I, yeah, I get that experience.
1: It's kind of like, uh, maybe one of your other values is growth. Yeah. Uh, like I definitely yeah. hold growth very high. Like if I'm not growing, it doesn't have to be in business or like creating more money could be like working out or, or in my marriage or, you know, spending more time with my dog or whatever. But I, I always want to be like growing and, and like advancing. And, um, you know, I, I, that really rings true with me, what you just said before that, you know, you have to achieve financial freedom to, for it to really, to really understand what's important. It's almost like when we achieve financial freedom, tight socks get taken off. And then we, we no longer have the burden of like financial pressure or stress and we're clear and focused. And now we can actually go, okay, got the money piece taken care of, um, there's a whole lot of other things I can do now. And then it, it was just, I, I know when that happened to me, I completely yeah. reframed my life because everything before that, the first two and a half years leading up to that was work, 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 business, business, financial freedom, financial freedom. And then when I got there, I'm like, okay, this is not it. This is not the end. <laughs> this is just like, cool. That's taken care of. Now I can focus on these things. And um, so what, what, what's it been like for you since you've had those freedoms?
0: So, and I couldn't agree more with everything you just said and growth is one of my core values and uh, connection is another. So I love to have like these types of conversations and go after a new, a new conversation that I would, and even a totally different perspective, I never would have seen coming Mm -hmm. in a totally different realm. Um, I actually been hanging out with some guys that are more in like the tech world. And it's like, man, the conversations you can have, you can take so much value from those conversations because i have just a really down and dirty understanding of how to run trailer parks and they're like in awe of that Mm. meanwhile i'm tripping out over all of the cool techie stuff that they're working on and we're like and i'm thinking about like man how could we bring that in and use that in our management functions and different things so i that's that's what i love doing now and to yeah so to answer your question i'm really enjoying um the ability to unplug and think Kind of clearly from a higher altitude, like a higher perspective of, get, you know, popping your heads up above the clouds and, th- you know, seeing things with more of a calm, you know, not being stuck Beautiful. in the details. And, you know, it's just, that's, there's so much value in that. It, it's kind of staggering. I almost feel it, like our culture has been wired to be distracted. Oh. Man,
1: don't even get me started. That's a whole other podcast, <laughs> that one. I mean, the consumption yeah. of media and just being a zombie. Don't. Yeah, that's a whole nother one, that one. Um, so, you know, I'm going to switch it up a little bit here and go back to your business because one of the things that is unique about your business is you're running basically a family business. So your work, you started off with your dad, but your sister also works with you as well. So you, or the three of you, Um, in this business, growing this business together. So like what's been the top three things about working closely with your father and your sister that you've
0: really like appreciated? So, uh, you know, there's no better partners than people that you can fully trust and love unconditionally. And I feel like, you know, with family comes its own bag of worms and struggle because it's family but if if you can work through that and then part of the reason we went to the Tony Robbins thing was just to kind of really understand now that we're getting to this point the different needs and wants of the three of us as individuals okay. because everyone you can get caught up so focused in the business mm-hmm. that we you never take the time to like ask like okay Jennifer what do you want like what do you want this outcome to be for you and your family and what are your main things that you're trying to achieve and, and is that so, something you have
1: to check in on too? Because, you know, you've been doing this for like 12 years. I'm sure your, your values and things have changed over the years. What important, I mean, are you checking on on this like every
0: year or every
1: quarter or?
0: I'd say it's a, probably an annual conversation. Yeah. And that kind of sets the stage because, um, you know, it doesn't change that rapidly. And then, but like, so one of my, one of my things is the ability to go and have the freedom of, of new connections and conversations which is always easy to undervalue when you're in mm. like a certain business growth mode or like we have a deal that we're purchasing and doing. Because you can't
1: tangibly put a dollar amount
0: on it, can you? It's like, even though it could massively lead to that. <laughs> yep. And, and so little by little, I have been able to prove that portion for my skill set of making connections, because now some of my weird friends that like I was ditching, you know, let's call it regular work and going in rides and helicopters for the day, like so they cool. came through big and in, in like four or five years later. And so there's just things like that, where like, that was something that was hard for my dad and sister to understand because they're more of like a workaholic mm-hmm. um, love to check things off a list. My dad's like a, a total manager. He loves to to really understand and take in all of the variables of a typical like management, uh, focus on how to get the deals, you know, to the next step. He just loves to work on that as like a puzzle. And my sister loves to just nail tasks and just, one after another and then grow the team and work on building the team. And, and so, and that didn't resonate with me in the same way it did with them. So we learned that the three of our, our uh, styles are very different. And that was really important because there's friction points. If you don't acknowledge that. Sure. Sure. Sure.
1: I remember setting goals with my wife. And, well, actually I wasn't setting goals
0: with my wife in the beginning.
1: I thought we were aligned on all our goals and we set our goals. This was in the beginning when we were working on becoming financially free and, and we didn't check in with each other and go, Oh, these are all of my goals. These are all of my goals. And then there was things that we conflicted on. So like one of my things was that I wanted to work. Like, you know, I had a job at the time and I was doing this mobile home park hustle after working on the weekends. And I just wanted to spend every second of my time creating financial freedom just to get it done i wanted to do it really quickly whereas on the other hand she wanted to enjoy every moment with me and go on tons of date nights and stuff and so like because we weren't checking in with each other that was like a major problem and i'm like but what do you mean we're going to be financially free and she's like but what do you mean like we'll be financially free and we won't be together because like you know we're not hanging out and so then we started like checking in on our goals together. And uh, we even have to do that again this year. But it's yeah, it's made a huge difference because will we, you we always find one or two things? It's like, oh, yeah, that one conflicts with this one. So let's find a way
0: to make it jive. Right. And uh, yeah, a date night a week or two, you know, that kind of a thing. Or yeah, I know exactly what you mean. So yeah. let's let's flip the
1: coin on that one. What's been the three biggest challenges that you've faced working with your family?
0: So... um. For me, so each one of us has probably got a different rub. My dad thinks, has always thought that I should work more hours mm-hmm. and, and what he perceived to be valuable work effort. And it's it shifted. Like it hasn't been that way since we've had good conversations and kind of gotten rid of that. Also, like, the, you know, he's he's almost 70. Him and I are like best friends Outside of work. So like there really only is a because like, let me paint the right picture. Him and I have a a tremendous and a great relationship. Um, And we really bonded uh, on when he went blind in that whole story. So I could back up and tell that story in a little bit. But um, that and his perception of what hard work is, wasn't the same as mine. And so we just, we weren't on the same page and I'm a millennial. So like, I don't want to come to work at seven, you know, like things like that. We just weren't on the same page. And so that was a, like probably for the half the time, like the last five or six years, there was a little bit of friction there. But then we've come to understand later on that it was like, okay, he really didn't have an expectation after we were moving, you know, plenty quickly. And it was more of just something I thought he was really worried about. And so there's just things like that where there's hidden rules within the family that, that, the, the dynamic of working as a family. And um, you know, as, as we, as I matured too, you know, I I look back and I'm like, you know, I was really probably just a maturity issue of mine being wanting to kind of break out from the family a little bit and, you know, go on my own fly solo here and there. So there's a bunch of things that I, I did on like the flying side and different things that, got me out of the family dynamic enough to where I could stay sane. Mm -hmm. And so that I'd say that was it. Like finding a balance has been the the struggle, but we've really we've really found it now. And we're my sister and I both kind of are in family mode. We have different ideas of what we want to do and things we want to do on the weekends. And so we're really good here and working and then we bump into each other in the week on the weekends and on holidays and we're still really great friends. And so it, it works out. That's
1: beautiful. That's beautiful.
0: And you're creating freedom together. So um,
1: let's, let's actually touch on you. You mentioned briefly that your dad is blind, uh, physically blind. He can't see. Um, And I I, I'm going to tie this in because you and I have actually had conversations about this in the past. Um, How does, how does spirituality play a role in your life and how has that specifically affected everything since your dad's been blind?
0: So, dad was always we were raised catholic and dad has been catholic since he was a kid Mm -hmm. and so with so he was he was a very high strung like general contractor building apartments going into the the recession and when that happened it was like all of the the years of buildup of stress and anxiety and carrying the load of the family. And we lived a, a good middle-class life. It was, you know, we, like historically speaking, my mom, sister and I, we, we went out and had trips and fun stuff, nothing crazy, but like we went on a ski trip every year or Mm -hmm. something of that nature, like things that were fun. I got exposed to a lot as a kid. We never really, Talked about money as a family, or worried about little, like let's call it necessities, but we weren't rich by any means. Mm-hmm. Um, but my parents fought about money, and it was just a lot of tension around the financial realm because Dad was so stressed about finances,
1: which is and probably so, common for most households
0: all over right, the world. Yeah. I agree, and so that that that's just setting the stage for when then we go into the recession. And it's like the walls are caving in on my dad. And we have, you know, lots of overhead to cover for the family. And it was that coming down with a couple, you know, his age, he was like 55, which I don't think is old, but like he had a little bit of blood pressure issue and like a couple of variables. He, he would take, um, he had allergies and he would take Advil cold and sinus, which is like an over-the-counter type thing to reduce mm-hmm. his nasal you know allergy decongestion type thing anyways that we come to find out that the combo of that and hypertension blood pressure issue and drinking a few beers caused his optic nerves to swell up and shit and and cause him to go blind
1: no shit something that we would probably think is so simple a combination that so many people could experience and that and that made him blind. Wow.
0: Because he had a hypertension issue and then, you know, the, the, yeah, the drug and chemical combination of all of them, it was the the perfect combo to make him go blind and it was a shit deal and we didn't know until, so he, he did it twice and that's why we knew what it was in the end because the first time it happened, that same, that combo was used and then he went to all these neurological ophthalmologists and, you know, we went to a dozen probably And, and none of them made a comment about any of that. And he, and he disclosed it. He was like, Hey, you know, here's what I was doing. And so anyways, one, so in March of 2010, he loses his left eye. And in May of 2010, it happens again to his right eye. Hmm. Same damn combination.
1: Wow. And this is while you guys are about two deep in two years deep in business together. Right.
0: So we've, we're, had one mobile home park we were closing on the other Mm -hmm. in Colorado and uh, a 37 space deal and yeah literally he saw that he saw that deal and then went blind before we closed it Mm, and he was working on a couple of other like uh, just consulting jobs to pay the bills for apartment developments Mm. and like just kind of on like land from the ground up just kind of consulting on how to do it Mm-hmm. And so basically there was a, a pivotal moment in my life that I I've really thought long and hard about. And that was the, like the decision, the ultimately it came down to that decision that I made, which was I could have at that point kind of abandoned the family ship, you know, and like said, Hey, you know, sorry, mom and dad, but I'm going to go live my life. I was 20. Mm-hmm. And, uh, we, but we were in, I, I had already made the commitment for cash flow, So that's just one side note. But, and then he was, he was basically, they were going to go down and go down hard. And, you know, my mom didn't, she doesn't have the financial and like their relationship wasn't strong enough to take on the load of business, mm-hmm. like, and having her be his eyes. And so there was a pivotal moment where it was like, all right, I have a decision to make. And he asked me to be his eyes through two consulting jobs where we built a 278 unit apartment deal for that guy that has the 15,000 units. Mm -hmm. And um, the guy allowed him to remain as the consultant, which was really cool. Uh, And, you know, he, he didn't really need his eyes fully. It was more of like coordinational stuff. And then I, I was his eyes and communicated verbally and he asked me to do it. And it's like, okay, <laughs> here we go. You know, and it was enough to, it was like, I knew a big picture was that it was enough money he was going to make on that. And he was going to roll as much money as he could into that apartment deal. And so it was going to basically uh, finish off a decent retirement for my mom and him. Mm-hmm. And then, and so where I was at the time was like, well, worst case is I do this for a couple years, maybe three years till this thing's built. And then they should have enough money to survive, and, and maybe we go. I go my own way if he's not still interested in doing trailer parks. Dude, that's so, a heck of a project, though, man. I mean,
1: that's like to be his eyes for that. That's that's a, I'm assuming you dedicated a lot of time to that.
0: Oh, it was full time basically, because yeah. there was a lot of, you know, it's, it, it was a, yeah, it was a, it was a twenty, six million dollar two hundred seventy eight unit apartment build from scratch. Yeah, so <laughs> and i knew nothing thought, yeah well, so i geez. i that was one of the pivotal educational and so like the first deal of the trailer park stuff meanwhile i'm managing that and doing the the apartment development as his eyes after he went blind that was the biggest shift uh in my life for education opportunity as well because i actually had a seat at the table with mm-hmm. all of those guys and yeah. i could just i was it was full submersion it was full yeah. submersion for three years on doing, you know, bigger deals than I could have dreamed of at the time, 20 years old. Yeah. That's amazing. At 20. And so how did, how did spirituality
1: play a role for you in this? So play a role for your dad in this as well.
0: So dad, like the only thing that kept him from like just going, you know, insane was his faith and stronghold on God mm-hmm. and as a Catholic and, so then, for me, it actually kicked me off on my own journey because I spent yeah. enough time with dad to where I couldn't go to Catholic church with him too. <laughs> like I, I, you know, like <laughs>
1: <laughs> it was, it was
0: like, like it just I needed my own way. And like my, like on the weekends, it was like okay, I'm gonna go. And so I moved out at 21, even though we were still working together. Um, I'm living on you know a couple grand a month, you know, in a little apartment in in uh, La Mesa. And I just, I needed that to be my time. So, and me and my girlfriend, we were still kind of on and off. And then we were together um, after I was probably 20 or 21. And uh, so we kind of went on our own faith journey and kind of really solidified our, our Christian beliefs and have our own church that we go to. And, but faith, if without faith, like the whole business, the whole keeping, you know, sane with the family model and all of that it wouldn't exist. Like there's mm. no way it just, you gotta have a, in my opinion, you have to have a foundational element of faith in a higher power in God and Jesus. And you can't make good decisions without that foundation.
1: Mm. Yeah. I mean, my, my experience is that, you know, spirituality is the the, the deeper I pursue spirituality, the more grounded I feel um, the, the less I'm in contact with God or spirituality, the less that I have control over my emotions, so to speak, I'd be like more quicker to you know, react to something or, or whatnot. So I find it very soothing for sure. And I have certainly not experienced the trauma that you and your dad have. So I really respect you guys and take my hat off to you guys uh, for
0: doing that. Yeah, I agree. I, I agree. The more the more uh, I, I, the best quote, I think, to like that I take myself back to is, you don't want to get caught up in the thick of thin things. You know, like even right now, I'm reminding myself that daily with this the election craziness and just the the, the world where it's at and I can't stand the mask bullshit and like, you know, mm-hmm. people telling me what to do. I'm yeah. the one guy walking in to the stores without a mask on, yeah. like looking around like... Because you guys that's are busting your masks, freedom. Huh? That's that's oh, totally conflicting oh, with your freedom. Uh, it yeah, just drives I'm, me I'm nuts. completely with
1: you on that one, man. Totally.
0: And, and yeah. so that that and... Just all of the uh, willingness I'm seeing people dropping like flies to just step in line. And that just goes against my core. Oh, sure. And so that's, yeah, so faith <laughs> faith is needed right now more than ever. Because that's in the end, you have to focus on a foundational element of eternity. And this is just a temporary deal. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Awesome, man.
1: So uh, we've only got a couple of minutes left here because I know that you've actually got a hard stop and you've got to get rolling. Um, but I do have a couple of questions I wanted to go through here. So yeah. <clears throat> um, in what areas have you needed to get out of your own way, so to speak, on your path to being
0: an entrepreneur? Um, I don't like sitting still. So I have to kind of discipline myself to get certain things done um, when, when I'm not needed. So like when we're in deal mode, I'm really good. Like mm-hmm. <laughs> you want me on the team when you need to blow through certain aspects of like, you know, challenges and the money raising and things like that. But when you're, when we're in cruise mode, that's a challenge for me. Mm-hmm. Like that's, I just, I kind of get wily. I just want to run and mm-hmm. do things. I want to like, that's when I want to go travel or do stuff. Cause I just don't like the calm in between deals. And, you know, so that's where that excitement, man. <laughs> so so that's my challenge is like coming back in and focus and, you know, using that time productively, I kind of want to just go blow it, you know, and so that's historically been my, my challenge okay. is disciplining myself enough to where it's like, okay, go, you know, go on a little trip. But when you come back, you know, hit the ground running and start using that time to regroup and build more connections with brokers or deals or off market pursuits. Mm-hmm. And, And keep growing. Yeah,
1: yeah, beautiful. And then you know, what's one thing that showed up in your life that you just never would have expected that it showed up in your life as a result of your journey over the last 12 years?
0: The team, like how much I care for the team and the guys that work with with me everywhere around. So a a couple of them are my buddies Mm -hmm. that I knew from growing up or from like other friends of friends. And And seeing them grow and, like, have that aha moment that, like, I don't need to work for some big corporation and live in this world. And they, they like, they get it. They, like, click through. That's so cool. And that was uh, me caring that, like, how much I care for them and how they think really shook me. Because it's like, Mm. damn, I love that so much when they get that through. So I'd say, like, so cool. The willingness to like, like for me to want to spend the time and educate, I, I don't know. I just didn't see that coming.
1: Yeah. Wow. Interesting. Yeah. I mean, that this is why we've got Freedom Hack Radio. This is why we're sitting here today because I i achieved financial freedom a while ago. And then I was just like, holy crap. I look at my life before and I look at my life now. Everybody should be living this life. I didn't <laughs> know it was possible. I just want to share right. it I just want to like, I just want to spread the word and uh, and be an evangelist for for freedom. So um, yeah, it, I totally get it, man. I get so much satisfaction when people reach back out to me and say, Hey, man, I read your book. And you know, now I'm on my path to financial freedom. And I've, you know, got a couple of rental properties, or I uh, you inspired me to do my first deal or, 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 or hey, I, re- you know, achieved financial freedom, you know, thanks for helping me along the way. It's just, that's just so awesome. I mean, we should all live like this. I just, I just don't believe that we should be waking up freaking like six o'clock in the morning to go and clock in at work and then you know waste your life and then you're 60 and then now you can't even freaking travel because <laughs> you oh, get health man. problems so
0: the idea i think the college the concept of college and that you're going to go find your path there and the concept of retirement i think is the biggest bullshit hoax that we we ever were sold
1: like the system retirement that like, you know, yeah, pension, that, like when you're 65,
0: you. you should retire and go live your golden years. Yeah, When when in reality, when you get done, like actually a great example, one of my good buddies is a firefighter and I told him like, hey, you know, do your thing. You know, it's a good it's a good idea. Like you love this stuff, like go mm-hmm. do it. But you need to start thinking about when you're done in 20 years, what you're going to go do. Because yeah. the average life expectancy for a guy that retires out of the service like that is five years, wow! They drink themselves to death, like they they don't they don't have anything to do, wow! So like when you're not living, you're dying. And unfortunately, in addition to that, there's a lot
1: of uh, pensions uh, that are being compromised. You know, police officers and firefighters and whatnot oh, that yeah. thought that they have been busting it for the last like twenty years, and they think they're going to retire and earn X amount of money coming in each month but they're not because that money's actually being spent, which is a whole nother podcast episode. Um, yeah. And another and reason why millennials really need to check in and make sure that they're taking control. Even if they want to be an employee and do their thing, have something going on on the side, some investments on the side so that if the, the social security and pension and all these things don't pan out the way you thought they were going to, it doesn't matter because you've got control of, of everything on the side.
0: Yeah, I agree. Uh, The system and depending on the, the old, you know, 99% of the people going down and trusting this system that has been taught to them. I I think that that's a mistake to trust every piece of that.
1: Yeah. Well, let's break that cycle, man. One podcast at a time.
0: That's right. Um, And that's part of why I I started our, our podcast, the trailer park podcast. So we can have conversations in the industry and I actually, I have, I'm always telling my industry buddies like brokers and uh, loan originators and all those guys like, Hey, you guys should buy deals. <laughs> yeah. You know, like they're, they get so um, caught up in the fee income side that they never stop to go like, well, wait, why wouldn't I want to own at get least in. a portion or invest yeah. in deals on the ownership side? Yeah. So, so I'm always preaching that to my buddies in the industry. Beautiful.
1: And what, what is your podcast called again?
0: The, the Trailer Park Podcast. The and Trailer I, I have Park a, Podcast. Yep. And uh, mm-hmm. so it's really just going to be focused on that realm. I may do another one like you're doing more focused on like freedom and open conversations. But um, I there's no good you know, industry uh, conversation going on. So I'm going to try to kick that off. And uh, I do have, that is the YouTube channel name. And I have four episodes we're about to upload in the next week or so. Okay, excellent. And, and we'll wow, put it on wow. Comfort Capital
1: you put it on comfortcapital.com. So yep. excellent. Um, and we're going to have links to all of this in the show notes, whether you're listening to the podcast or you're watching this on, on YouTube. Um, so what's uh, what's most exciting? Well, what's got you most excited about 2021? Have you got any like projects that you're working
0: on or like big lofty goals this year? So yeah, they, we, we're kind of kicking around. Uh, we'd like to buy 500 spaces. Mm-hmm and uh and so we're we're kind of having fun we 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 gathered a a ton of data and in 2020 we hired a guy to kind of become our analyst and then he he built a, a hell of a mobile home park database nationwide off of some of the ones that we were able to pull from like you know mhu and different ones but a lot of them were relatively you know archaic you know they didn't have a lot of good data so we we have a ton of really good data now and i i'm i'm outreaching to all the different brokers that are really killing it in different places uh, in the country and I'm excited about kind of growing outside of just Arizona. So we're gonna go in heavy into Nevada, uh, Texas we're gonna look at some other states around your area and start looking um, and I'm just excited about growing my understanding of all of these different markets and places in the country because and we're gonna, we're gonna uh, I, have a, I have a slogan where freedom goes money flows.
1: That is awesome.
0: So, cause with all this shit going on, like the more freedom, like Arizona, like Texas, like I, I'm not sure about the Carolinas, but I've heard good things, mm-hmm. um, where like, they're not doing the shutdown crap, like California and New York and yeah. like Florida. I've heard really good things about Florida. So we're going to, uh, we're looking in Idaho we're, so I want to just go and, and kind of check the temperature in all these places physically and, and get the feel.
1: I'm excited about that.
0: And we want to do a handful of deals. That's awesome. That's
1: awesome. And so for everyone listening right now, how can they keep in touch with you and find out about these deals as they unfold and and find out what you got going on?
0: So comfortcapital.com is the main website for our investor portion. And we we actually got a really bitchin' portal set up now through uh, Mm CrowdStreet. So they host all of our investor relations. Uh, portion of the website. So it's really cool. We're going to start putting interactive, like, you know, cool, uh, articles out weekly of updates on current deals that we're working on for like the investors that are involved in those. And then for new deals, that's what you can just subscribe on cover capital. Okay. Um, you could set up an intro call with me if you're interested in investing and, and, and then I'll put you in the email database for the next deal we're raising money for.
1: Beautiful, and then that that investor will get a notification, and they get the opportunity to explore that investment with you, and and dig in if they choose to. That's right, right. That's really awesome. That's great, mate. Well, I tell you what, I really, really appreciate you coming on. Thanks for being so vulnerable today. One last question before we take off, and this one, this question is directed directly at millennials because you're a millennial. So, what advice do you have for millennials out there that want to achieve financial freedom, and time freedom, and location free? them that haven't really pulled the trigger yet what's the what's the one biggest takeaway or piece of advice that
0: you could give them don't get stuck in analysis paralysis go out and and go like full throttle all gas no brakes make a couple mistakes and and learn you're way better off doing deals and failing and even losing money than not doing deals and so like that i feel like at all my excuse me, all my friends that are out like thinking about doing it. It's just like when you're on like a, a 20 foot cliff jumping into the water, like sometimes like, Oh, I get up here. It looks pretty damn high. Yeah. You know, it's like, you can't sit there and think about it for very long. You just have to jump. The longer you wait, it gets so much harder. Actually, uh,
1: my mate, Reid Goosen, uh, co-author of, of our book, 10,000 Miles of the American Dream, he was also on one of the earlier episodes of Freedom Hack Radio. Um, I was telling him, yeah, dude, I've got the Freedom Hack Radio. I'm going to do this podcast and everything. And I mentioned it a few times to him over a few months. And then and then the last time he just said, dude, when are you going to freaking do it? Like, I'm sick of hearing about it. Just do it, man. And then yep. so I, I kind of laughed and I thought, yeah, that's pretty funny. And then I just did it. So... <laughs>
0: It's, it's never as I, hot
1: as what we think it is, is it?
0: No. And yeah, it's like once you get into it and yeah, sure. There's a bunch of unknowns and unknown uh, data and things and methods, but just start. And you'll yeah. find somebody you'll bump into the, you know, a few steps in and to the deal. It's like, oh, so call this guy. He'll help you. And you have a conversation like, oh, that's how that works. Meanwhile, if you never started, you'd never learn the next 10 steps. No kidding. No, so kidding. you just have to go. That's awesome piece of advice, mate. And we'll
1: leave it perfectly on that note. So once again, thank you very much. Thank you for being vulnerable and you know digressing and talking about all sorts of things. Love what you're up to. Love what you've been up to for the last 12 years. Excited to follow and watch what you got going on. I wanna tune into the Trailer Park podcast. And uh, once again, thank you very, very much for coming on the show today with us, mate.
0: Hey, thanks for having me, Bryce. It was a pleasure. It was a pleasure. I enjoyed it. (laughs)
1: Awesome. Awesome! And for all you freedom hackers
0: out there, I hope you've got a ton out of this.
1: If you have, make sure to subscribe on the YouTube channel or your favorite podcast platform. And until next week, this is Freedom Hack Radio. I'm your host, Bryce Robertson. Live large and live free. G'day, this is Bryce Robertson. I'm your host here at Freedom Hack Radio. And I truly, truly hope that you got a ton of value out of the episode that we just shared with you. And if you did, make sure to subscribe on your YouTube channel. Make sure to subscribe to your favorite podcasting platform. Hit the notification button so you can find out about the next episodes as they come out. Because if you haven't achieved financial time and location freedom, you really need to be dialed in here. So make sure to subscribe and follow us along as you grow on your path to financial time and location freedom here at Freedom Hack Radio.